If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be the most trusted property podcast in Australia. I'm Pete Wargen, finance author and buyer's agent, and today I'm joined by... Amy Lenardi. I'm also a buyer's agent. Welcome, Amy. It's great to have you on. So today, we're going to talk about investment-grade property, and we're going to answer... Well, uh, to cut a long story short, what the heck is it? (laughs) Nobody knows. It's one of those uh, nebulous terms that gets thrown around a lot. So today we're going to try and discuss what we think it means. And we did have a chat about this prior and said, Pete, what's your your definition of this? And we came to the conclusion is that it's it's essentially a buzzword and it's essentially a word that potentially uh, people out there use to sell certain products and strategies. Um, whereas it should actually be the product, it, when we talk about product, that's the property itself that you, you're potentially buying. That's the last thing that comes, the location and the property is the last thing that comes in what I call the investing funnel. The strategy comes first. So you're going to invest in property. That's that's the first thing to decide or what other assets are you going to invest in. And then from that, how much are you going to spend? What are your cash flows going to look like? Working through all of those things, why are you buying? What's your long-term goals? What's your short-term goals? And then the property and the location fits into it. So the long and the short of it is investment grade is a property that fits your strategy. The strategy comes first. Yeah, so it it kind of, um, I think that the term investment grade property, I mean, it was originally a term from, um, from financial services, I guess. It kind of related to um, a bit like a, an investment grade bond, you know, it's a bond with a low risk of default, you know, AAA rated potentially. And then somehow that term got transposed into real estate, as you said, as some kind of a buzzword. And I think the implication was that, you know, if you buy an investment grade property, it will do better than the average or will do you know, better than inflation. But it was never really properly defined. And I, I guess, well, that's what we'll try to cover off today. But as you mentioned, I think above and beyond that, it's actually more important to start with 
the why, try and begin with the end in mind, work out what are you actually trying to achieve and what's your strategy, and then you can fit the actual property um, into that strategy. Now, I guess the oldest catchphrase in real estate is location, location, location. So presumably for an investment grade property, we're looking for the the sort of the best types of locations with a point of scarcity. Before we come on to the different potential component parts of an investment grade property, let's go a bit deeper into the strategy then, Amy. So when it comes to a property strategy and what you're trying to achieve, um, what are the different aspects of a property strategy, do you think? Yeah, so the, for me, the first um, thing is always about your why. And it sounds, it's the fluffy part of the whole process. It's the part that nobody else can actually tell you. It's very, very personal and intrinsic. And it's something that you also need to be on the same page as your partner with. So your why is, why are you doing this? Why are you investing in property? What does it mean for you? What are you hoping to achieve out of it? And thinking about the long term is always important with a property strategy. However, the short to medium term should also not be discounted as well. For example, if your long term plan was uh, capital growth, and I think everyone wants to achieve capital growth, but in the short run, that actually came with a lot of personal cost to you because high capital growth properties tend to be quite negatively geared. They cost a lot per month out of pocket. Is that going to compromise your short to medium term plans? And if so, how's that going to impact you? So I think that when it comes to strategy, focusing on the the why, breaking that down into short, medium and longer term. Also noting that the younger you are, the more things can change over your life yeah, and so you I need think, to have yeah, flexibility so there. You've struck on, I guess, one of the uh, shortcomings of the phrase investment grade because yes, that's right. If everybody everybody wants a property that's going to demonstrate long term capital growth, but not everybody um, earns a high income. Everybody has different individual circumstances, and if, if there's a property that's going to have a significant negative cash flow, or if there's significant maintenance issues, that might be perfectly fine for a higher income earner in the top tax bracket, but. For um, a younger person and a person on a lower income, that might be completely inappropriate. Or um, if you'd purchased with a high growth strategy when interest rates were low mm. and all of a sudden that mortgage is now costing you double per month and you can't afford to hold on to that property, you're then forced to sell that property before the time is right. To, to, to liquefy it, but perhaps the market is not the right time or you've gone and spent all of this money on stamp duty and cash flows and you're breaking even and then you're actually taking a step backwards. So high growth isn't going to suit everyone. So coming back to what's my strategy and then an investment grade property needs to meet that strategy. Yes, and as you kind of touched on there, I think in many ways the world is more fluid these days. You know, Statistically, people are likely to have more than one de facto relationship. You People change jobs more often than before. Um, often people even change careers, which can, could entail moving to a different city or even country. So there's a lot of different aspects that um, your particular stage in life, your individual circumstances, I mean, they could all feed into or should feed into the suitable property strategy for you. And yeah. even before you're starting to think about, okay, well, which are the best locations to buy and so Oh, on. absolutely. And so that's that's the why, the why element of your property strategy. The next part is the when. When am I going to buy this property? If your goal is to have a very strong capital growth um, portfolio, you might take a step back and say, well, what income do I need to achieve to be able to support this portfolio? Am I at that point of my life where I'm able to do that? Is this something I want to do or rely on having a dual income for? 
And you might not then rush into things. You might take a step back and say, well, if that's my goal, how am I going to get the cash flow and income to be able to support that? Or if that's not on my short-term horizon, how will I then look at different kinds of assets, perhaps ones that are a bit more modest in terms of capital growth, but they do provide um, stronger cash flow so you can hold on to that property for longer and then time is your friend. There's there's so many different ways to tackle it, but always just coming back to the why and the when and then we can focus on the what and then we can talk about, okay, well, what does an investment grade property look like in terms of location and dwelling suitable to your strategy? For you, yes. For you, specifically for you because what is investment grade for you won't be the same for another person. That's an important point, I think, because too often I think people start with the product or the property, you know, um, yes, uh, instead of thinking, but why am I doing this? Yep. You know, and that's, yep. so we see this all the time, you know, people buy uh, because their friends are, they buy because their parents are telling them they should, you know, there's lots of They've heard about a hotspot, yes, they've that, watched a YouTube t- w- webinar. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think, um, you know, this is a, a recurring theme or point in our podcast is that you really want to try and begin with the end in mind and then find the, the strategy that's appropriate for your circumstances. so And I often get the question, what makes a good property? What makes a, makes a good home? And I liken it to if someone said to you, hey, Pete, where can I go for a good holiday? Mm. Well, you would say, well, I mean, do you want to relax? Do you want to go on an adventure? What's your budget? Do you want to go overseas? Do you want to go local? Think of it in that context. Those are all of the things you figure out before you decide where you're going to go. Mm, it's a very good analogy, actually. <laughs> uh, you got me thinking now. <laughs> what well, does make for a good holiday? But of course, it's you know it's very different now with two kids to how it was when I was 21. Exactly. And going to uh, you know those holidays in Greece or whatever. So um, let's talk a little bit then with that being born in mind. Um, the oldest cliche in real estate is location, location, location. And I think like a lot of sayings, they they, they didn't come about for no reason. You know, there is a, a reason that people talk about location and that is because um, with residential property, the location is completely fixed in place. You can change the, uh, the layout of a property, you can repaint, you know, if you don't like the colors, whatever. But the one thing you can never change is the location. So if you're potentially going to own the asset for a long period of time, location is obviously important, which is why people are trying to steer clear of things like flood zones or very busy roads and things like that, uh, compromised location. So in terms of a location for a property, what are the kind of things that people look for? I guess a, a point of scarcity is always a good thing, you know, a place where you know, land is in somewhat short supply and high demand, but what what sort of things do you look for? Well, scarcity doesn't always just relate to land too, because we can uh, just say we can afford to get into a particularly amazing suburb in in a capital city, but our budget can only afford us an apartment and an apartment in a high rise building. Well, that's that's not a form of scarcity. So in that instance, it might be better for you to consider a location that is potentially an inferior suburb, but you can get a better type of property. But it still needs to come back to, well, what are your cash flows? Maybe all you can afford to is hold on to an apartment and in which case get the, get, get the best apartment you can. So we're not making generalized mm. um, comments here, but scarcity is absolutely important because when it comes to what drives, um, if we do come back to capital growth, because we will always talk about that because it's what people want to achieve is um, how many properties is that property competing with in terms of when you go and resell it in the future? You do want to have scarcity, so you have a, a stronger buyer pool. Um, and then also from a tenant perspective, 
You don't want to have a tenant who has a choice of 10 to 20 properties of a similar type up for lease at the same time, especially if you're in a big complex, it's all settled at the same time. They're going to be, I, I worked in um, residential leasing before I did buyer's advocacy and I would meet tenants out the front of a big high rise building and I would take them to six or seven at once and say, oh, well, which, which one do you want? <laughs> That's versus having something that was quite scarce and in demand and I'd have people lining down the street to get into that one property. So this kind of comes back, I guess, to demographics. You know, Where do people want to live and why? Um, good school zones increasingly, you know, sort of burgeoning capital cities, a good school zone is very important to family buyers. So um, but I think, you know, even beyond that, it's, you know, what type of people are moving to a location? What kind of incomes are they earning? Is the location gentrifying or improving? All of those sorts of things. I think, um, you know, we, we talk about sometimes, um, you know, the proven track record in property. And um, I think, you know, I've seen some international studies where people say, well, you know, property prices by and large just move with inflation, particularly in areas where there isn't much scarcity. But, you know, we've done some sort of back testing and research in uh, in Brisbane, and you look at the, the types of suburbs that have really sort of outperformed places like Wilston and places like you know they're close to the city, really good schools, you know, nice location. Families want to live there, but there's no land for release. You know, it's just a, that point of scarcity, and I think that landlocked um, sort of inner middle ring suburb they tend to do pretty well over time because. Um, well, there is no more. Like there is that scarcity. Mm. People want to live there increasingly. So, and um, I guess it becomes a hedge against inflation because the capital growth tends to be fairly consistent over time. Yeah. So focusing on why are people moving into that area? More importantly, what are those types of demographics? And then to be able for them to put pressure on capital growth and to create capital growth in that area, they actually have to have the incomes to push prices up in those areas. So these are areas which are aspirational rather than affordable, rather than areas where people are moving into just because they can't afford to live somewhere else. And in rising and hot markets, those areas will do well naturally just because people are being pushed out and they can't afford anywhere and they've got to go somewhere. But in softer markets, those are the areas that will suffer the most because buyers are more, more discerning and they will focus on amenity. Um, but yeah, coming back to, it's interesting you say that with the landlock thing, I was just flying in from <laughs> the Sunshine Coast the other day and we were flying over um, Melbourne coming in from the north and there was this suburb that I was looking at from the plane. It was just this, um, you know, house and land type area all on these 400 square metre blocks with no backyards, which doesn't make any sense because then you're looking all around that and there's just vacant land, vacant land. And it's all well and good for home buyers who want to live there because perhaps they can't afford to live a bit closer in or what they value is a larger, more modern home and their budget can't afford it closer in. But from an investment point of view, as soon as another estate goes up nearby or a little bit closer in or just all of that land gets taken up, that devalues that original estate because they've there's no scarcity there. They're competing, no against, yeah. they're competing against so many other dwellings. And um, not only that, the amenity is not is not ideal. So we don't have those established schools. We have a long commute to the city. We have limited public transport. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of variables here. Yeah, the Brisbane scarcity. is exactly the same. But you just don't have to go as far from the CBD yeah. before that's the case. But it's exactly the same. There's um, new estates to the north of Brisbane, and as soon as prices move, there's just a whole new estate. There's no 
no scarcity. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tried to do the same flying in uh, myself to Melbourne yesterday, but all I could see was clouds. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, point well taken. Um, so um, I guess, um, well, before we come on to the property types, um, there's, there's a couple of things that you generally look to avoid in uh, property location when you're choosing a location and a block of land. Uh, in Brisbane, flood risk is a big one because um, they used to say once every 50 years we have a major flood. Now it seems to be once every 10 and once every two years. <laughs> it uh, seems to be getting more common. Um, so there are certain locations that are flood prone. Uh, now, some home buyers do choose to buy in those areas if they can pick up a bargain. The, the major issue, as I see it, is um, with people becoming more attuned to changes in climate and risk, that insurance policies go up. Um, that's a very uh, it's a painful recurring payment. But then even when you come to sell, the next buyer is going to have the same issues. It could potentially seriously stump the capital growth. And you may even find it's in a liquid market, if that's not the uh, an unfortunate term to use, uh, difficult to resell, I guess. Um, so that is one. And another thing is busy roads. You know, historically, people have tried to keep off main thoroughfares. I mean, there is a school of thought as we move towards electric vehicles that maybe they could get a bit quieter. But generally speaking, you know, most people want to live on you know streets with a certain level of owner occupier appeal, I guess. Yeah, well, and that's that's the key phrase here is owner occupier appeal because through owner occupier appeal you're also going to have tenant appeal. Tenants want the same things that owners do. Um, but when it comes to selling that property in the future, you want to have as broad of a buyer pool. As possible. So if there's any major detractor to that property or that location, which is going to eliminate buyers from your buyer pool, for example, if you did a poll, how many people would be comfortable buying in a flood zone? How many people would be comfortable buying on the main road? There will still be people who are happy to do it, some at a discounted price, but certain people who will say, absolutely not. So you want to have as broad of a buyer market as possible. And then coming back to that tenant market too, sometimes you might say, okay, well, I found this suburb and it's great. Um, people living there, they've got good incomes, it's good demographics, good schools, but are people renting there too? If this is a location which is a suburban uh, suburb, which is quite far out of the city and people are moving into that area because they want to buy family homes, yes, maybe they'll trial it out for a little while and rent, um, but what's the tenant market there? To why are people renting out there, especially people who need to get into the city? And I've seen mistakes happen um, where people buy into, you know, a regional area or somewhere coastal because they see the values going up. But you've got to lease that property out then. And Airbnb is not <laughs> is not the magic solution to that. Yeah, this is a very interesting point. I, I remember um, books uh, going way back decades ago in the UK where people would talk about, look, if you're going into become a landlord, you should be very cold unemotional just look at the numbers you know the price the rental yield but i i think the you know the point was you know be try and be rational with the numbers but the, the in reality people buy property emotionally you know we're all humans and you know we tend to be somewhat tribal you know we all tend to like you know very similar places similar locations and similar things so i think to just reduce a property purchase down to the cold hard numbers is missing well, a key it's point a terrible piece of advice <laughs> well because property is about people and about emotions and even though you're not necessarily or probably not going to be the target demographic who is living in that property who's renting it or maybe buying it again in the future if you can't see 
someone else living there and mm. what they're going to desire about that location, that dwelling, then it's not the right property. I've had real estate agents call me in the past many times before. I say, hey, Amy, I've got a property. Surely you'll have an investor for this. It's a really great investment property. And I say, well, why is it a great investment property and not a home? Oh, well, you know, it's not it's not the best floor plan, but they've squeezed in an extra room and the yield is good because they have, um, they're, they're leasing it out to a share house. And, you know, th- these are not reasons that a property is an investment property or an investment grade because good luck trying to resell that in the future when we're talking about um, you know liquidity and talking about owner occupier appeal etc. Yeah, so I, I so to touch back onto a previous point, to, to some degree you can always you can correct if there's a bad you know if a room is painted a funny colour or you know even a, a layout of a property they can be to some degree you can fix those things or change them but in the end if the property doesn't have any owner-occupier appeal, it's, you're going to struggle in the resale market. Well, you're going to have to rely on finding another investor who is buying it for the reasons that you were potentially considering buying at the start, which yes, is you're, you're limiting or, your resale absolutely. pool, which is, um, yes. And, you, and look, you touched on the, the rental market there and, you know, you generally as an investor, you'd be looking for relatively low vacancy rates, somewhere you could rent out easily. Um, in terms of putting numbers on uh, what is an investment grade property. One of the things that gets thrown around is the idea of the land to asset ratio. So if you're not familiar, I guess the general theory in real estate goes something like land appreciates and buildings depreciate. So um, by that uh, token, you should be looking for properties with a high land value content because that's in the long run what will do the heavy lifting for you. I'm not sure it's literally true. I think if you look at the the replacement cost of property does generally go up over time. Well, because at the moment, especially with construction costs. The cost costs. of materials mm. and the cost of trade. So, um, But I think the principle is an important one. Um, and I think you, you, you could take the two extremes examples. You know, at the sort of the highest possible land to asset ratio would just be a vacant block of land. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's 100% land value. Or a but house course, which is so dilapidated that you can't lease it out. Yes, but that is the issue. There is no income. There's going to be no income associated with that property. So as a as an investor, um, there's no rental income. And as a home buyer, well, there's nowhere to live. So um, that's the extreme end. I suppose at the other end of the spectrum, if you bought on the 90th floor of uh, the Eureka Tower or whatever the most modern equivalent is, the, the land uh, sort of the land value component of an investment like that might be just one or two percent. There is no land value essentially, it's just airspace. Um, so as you were sort of noting before, there is no scarcity because there's going to be dozens of other apartments just like yours. Um, so I guess the sweet spot is somewhere in between those two well, extremes and it, it probably, as you spot, said, comes back to your, your strategy in the first place. 100%. So think of it like a spectrum and there's no right or wrong place to be on the spectrum as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. So if you, if you uh, have the capacity to go and buy that dilapidated house and renovate it and do all of the work required and then get a tenant in there, well, hats off to you, but most people can't do that. So ideally, you're not um, targeting properties that are so low on the spectrum, though, that they aren't going to see any growth because in which case, what's the what's the point? Why are you actually doing that? Maybe it is a cash flow option and, and that's okay as long as you understand mm that. Um, But figuring out where you sit on the spectrum is step number one. So do I have to buy something that is more stronger yielding or stronger growth? Where do I sit there? And then go and find a location and a dwelling 
that suits that strategy? I think um, the, the 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 issue that I've seen over the past 20 years or so with going at that sort of very cheap end of the market is that if you're buying a property way out on the city fringe in a small capital city or regional area, if, if the property's worth, let's say, a couple of hundred thousand dollars or a bit more, and the land value is is very, very low, um, let's say for the sake of argument, 50 or 100,000, even if you get 10 or 20% capital growth on that land value, it's just not going to move the needle. And then one repair cost comes along or you have an issue with the tenant and all of that capital growth gets wiped out. Mm. Um, I think, um, you know, the, the sort of a balanced type of investment might be sort of half land value and half building value. Yeah. You know, if, um, if you focus on it too much, though, you know, sometimes people will get confused um, with land value and land size mm-hmm. too. So um, I have investors that say, I have to buy land, have to buy land. But if that land is going to be 800 square metres, 40 k's out of the city, I'd rather buy 100 square metres in a blue chip suburb. That's right. And, it, and sometimes, you know, large blocks of land, there, there are whole parts of the land that are practically useless. We say this in Brisbane all the time. The block size might be 600, but if you can't use 250 of it, um, then uh, it may not be as useful. But uh, as you mentioned, the most valuable real estate uh, in Australia and getting close to in the world is in Paddington in Sydney, where you can get blocks that are 80 square meters, but uh, property selling in the millions. Well, I'm on 140 square meters in inner city Melbourne, and to get an extra 50 square meters in my suburb is significantly more expensive mm. than to get an extra 50 square metres if you're out in the suburbs where it almost means nothing to you in terms of adding extra space. Which comes back to your point on scarcity. There is no more land in Paddington, sadly, uh, for, <laughs> for those of us who are not in that market. And uh, there are similar suburbs in Melbourne that you'd probably point to the Brunswicks or you know those kind of areas that are close to the city where there is no more, more land for release and that, therefore the point of scarcity. The key point here, I think, is coming back to your own strategy. Now, some of the things that we think are not related to what is an investment uh, grade property. Now, we often see uh, sort of white knight advisors recommending that people buy certain products that were often they're driven by the commission rather than getting the best outcome for the client. Um, things like good tax outcomes are often banded around, high depreciation, um, which may sort of help your tax return, but not much point in buying a depreciating asset. Well, saving tax lose isn't money. a strategy, is it? It's just, yes, it's You're an buying a property, exactly. Rather than a strategy. You're spending a dollar to save, you know, say 60, 70 cents. Um, that's, a, that's a side benefit or it's a side outcome. It's not the goal. Yes, and I think, it, look, it, it's, a, it's an area that can be fraught with risk. If you're recommended to buy a brand new property, a new housing estate or a new high-rise block of apartments, you just want to question why that is the case and is the advisor receiving a commission for recommending it often six to eight percent can be going to the person recommending the property Um, that in itself can be a red flag in many cases so Mm. and just recognizing at the end of the day depreciation is a recognition of an on-paper loss Mm. and negative gearing is you claiming back a a loss that you've actually sustained throughout the year so these losses need to be gained through capital growth. Capital growth needs to be able to be there to justify the losses. Otherwise, you are literally just losing money on a property if you're just going into it with a tax strategy. Yes, I think if people start, I mean, they they often say, you know, the tax outcomes or 
depreciation. That should be the icing on the cake. It's not the reason to invest in an asset in the first place because um, if you get it the wrong way around, I think people often uh, put the uh, the cart before the horse and it, it doesn't work out well for them. So, Amy, if we were to recap then <laughs> on what is an investment-grade property. So first and foremost, it's got to be something that is suitable for your strategy and your individual circumstances. Exactly right. So that that's all it really needs to be is something that is specifically tailored to your situation. It's something that you could also then use as a benchmark to reflect on in time, say 5, 10, 15 years down the track or when you want to sell that property. Has this property been investment grade for me? The answer to that is, has it achieved what you went in to try and achieve on that purchase? That's exactly it. And in terms of some of the factors which might make the property investment grade, we want a limited supply of land in terms of demographics. Generally, we're talking about aspirational uh, we want income or growth, locations. income growth in those locations. So why are people got moving into those areas and are their incomes growing in value and why? Yeah, so sustainable income growth from not just from employees, but also businesses and equity, intergenerational equity. Uh, we generally like to see a proven track record. I think some locations, particularly mining towns and so on, they had sort of periods where prices boomed, but then everything unwound. What we really like to see often in a capital city or a peri-urban location close to the city is a kind of a, a strong and stable capital growth over a very long period of time because that's really when it work, property works really well as an inflation head. And we want to see broad owner-occupier appeal because we want to be able to resell that property in the future to as broad of a market as we can. And as a direct outcome of owner-occupier appeal, you will have tenant appeal as long as you're buying into an area where there are people people renting in those locations. Yeah, so you want the, the sort of the strongest possible resale pool for when you come to resell. And don't get too hung up on the land to asset ratio. I think it's important to remember, you know, land appreciates. But for one thing, there's different ways to measure land value. There's unimproved land value. There's the values that the the um, the tax um, uh, tax levies are based upon. And there's, you know, the potential resale value. I think it's not something that's a hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, you would like there to be a decent land value component in the asset. And that would tend to help you over the long run. Um, so, and what is not an investment grade property? Well, very often it's some of these sort of new, newly packaged products or things that are really designed to get you a good tax outcome. That's not really the reason to get into to property. So I think that's it for today. So if you've got any questions at all on that, as always, we'll put in the show notes a way to get in contact with either Amy or myself. Uh, Amy, thank you so much for your illuminating thoughts today and look forward to catching up next time. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big. 
so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.